Welcome to My Name is Not Steve, the podcast by storytellers about storytelling with people not named Steve. Hey, this is Pete Bauer. And I'm Dorothea Bauer. And this is My Name is Not Steve. We are still not named Steve. Nope, we are storytellers that talk about storytelling. Yes, we are. And today's a very special episode, Dorothea. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is a shock to you. What am I doing here? I don't even know. See, I never know what I'm doing. That's why I sound like such an idiot. <laughs> oh, great. So this is a little episode we're putting together for the release of the second Gabby Wells novel, Lost and Found. So the first novel was Neil and Prey, and that introduced Gabby Wells. And in that novel, she's trying to stop one of her classmates from committing mass murder on the 4th of July. It's a feel-good story. It is. It is a feel-good story. Yeah, something you read around the campfire and <laughs> cuddle to with. To your children. <laughs> and in that novel, Gabby feels called by God to do things, and she's starting to hear the voice of God call her to do things. And Neil and Prey ends with, The draft of a coming storm pushed a gust through the gazebo, sending a chill into Gabby's bones. As she watched the lightning strike in the distance, she had a sneaking suspicion God wasn't quite done with her yet. I remember reading that line and thinking, you've got to be kidding me, because I know the plot of these stories because we talk about them in advance of you writing them. Yes. And I didn't realize that you were going to have what happens in the second book happen so quickly after the first book. (laughs) I know. Because the blurb for the second book, Lost and Found, is this. A hurricane brews off the coast of Safety Harbor, which is what you were talking about, as the small town struggles to recover from the tragedy on the 4th of July. Gabby, filled with doubts and regret, is reluctant to answer God's call again. When a sociopathic thief puts her best friend's life in mortal danger, she must face her fears and trust God's path leading her into the eye of the hurricane. Insurmountable forces assail her every move, and time is quickly running out to save her friend Emma from a violent, watery death. With a fractured faith and a relentless will, Gabby must brave nature's wrath and the malevolent machinations of a desperate felon. Yes. As her world collapses around her, Gabby must rise above it all to save her dearest friend and restore her faith. So, yes, this actually takes place immediately. Immediately. After the first novel, like within weeks of the first novel. It's insane. Yeah, Gabby's life is kind of kind of horrendous. <laughs> so, <laughs> so welcome to the world of Gabby Wells. Yeah. It's like coming to Disney. <laughs> If Disney were one big theme park of scares and disappointment. Well, no, that's it depends all. on what time of the year it is. <laughs> Actually, Disney does Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party. Welcome to Universal Halloween Horror Nights. <laughs> that's, that's more like it. So after introducing the Gabby Wells universe with Neil and Prey, we wanted the next subsequent few novels to be focused on Gabby's relationship with her friends. And this one is the exploration of her friendship with her best friend, Emma. So Emma is Gabby's best friend. They've been friends their entire lives, and they completely love and adore each other. They're like family. They get to the point where they don't necessarily call each other's parents like aunt and uncle, but it's not really necessary because the love is definitely there between their families. But the interesting thing about their relationship is something that I think we've talked about before on this podcast, which is that... As you get older, you change, you grow, and you evolve into the person that you're going to become as an adult. And the situations that you find yourself in as you grow older affect who you become. Gabby's mother died, and that changed her. It broke her in a lot of ways, and she has a really hard time getting over that. 
So the innocent friendship that she had with Emma before her mother's death has drastically changed. And that's one of the things that presents a source of conflict in Lost and Found is them dealing with that part of their friendship because Emma is just a normal girl. She hasn't suffered that loss and she doesn't know what it's like. Emma is very light and fun and spontaneous and Gabby's the opposite of all of those things, but they still love each other very much. In this book, when we talk about their friendship, we're talking about how do people who are like family, but completely different, move forward? Is it easy to stay close to someone when things are so different? And how do you deal with that conflict, especially when hormones are wreaking havoc on you? And frankly, if you've read Neil and Prey, you know that Gabby is not exactly the easiest person to be around. I mean, not many people chase mass murderers in their free time at the age of 15. Right. And that's one of the things that is discussed in this novel as well. With Emma and Gabby, it's hard for Emma, this lighthearted, fun person, to continue to grow and be Gabby's friend because Gabby's life suddenly, with the last novel, takes a very drastic turn. Gabby's always been a little weird in comparison, always been smart, always been impulsive and a little obsessive about things. When that alters and suddenly Gabby is crossing paths with psychos and near-death experiences, Emma doesn't really know how to deal with that. And then having to deal with the consequences of Gabby's perceived herodom or or everyone just looking up to her for who she is. And, And Emma struggles with being the friend of the person who does these things. And Gabby hates the fact that she has to do these things. So The events that Gabby feels she's called to do end up not only are a struggle for Gabby, that she's asked to do so many hard things, but those same events are getting in the way of their friendship because Emma doesn't know how to deal with a girl who does those things either. And the other thing is, is that some people are more naturally strong or resilient than other people. And Gabby has a wonderful group of friends. And as we continue in these stories, you'll get to know them all really well. And you're going to love Emma because she is lighthearted and she is fun. And she's the kind of friend that you want because she totally adores you. And she just wants you to enjoy life. And she wants to go out and have crazy adventures. And that would be an amazing friend to have. Emma's a ball. But the thing is, is that Gabby chases mass murderers and Emma's lighthearted. Yeah, Emma chases boys (laughs) to go on dates. And at the end of the day, the stuff that Emma's made of is not made for chasing mass murderers. So what do you do and how do you deal when you're in those situations? I think we've briefly talked about on this podcast before the movie Saving Private Ryan, and one of the most heartbreaking scenes to me in that movie, and this is, of course, a huge spoiler, is when one of the soldiers in the group is being stabbed to death by an enemy German soldier, and there's another guy just outside the door, but he's so paralyzed with fear, he cannot go in. He can't. He just stands there. And you're watching, going, no, you have to go in. You have to help him. You guys would be able to overcome him if there were two of you. You have to go in. And he just sits there and the guy dies because not everyone is made to fight battles. Right. Not everyone is Gabby. But as it turns out in this novel, those same things that irritate Emma about Gabby are the same things she relies on when Emma gets into trouble. They end up, I think, coming to a better understanding of each other and where they fit in each other's lives because Gabby desperately needs Emma, probably more than Emma needs Gabby, because... The more Gabby goes down these paths, the more their lives, because they're such good friends with her, end up kind of becoming mayhem. So Gabby desperately needs Emma to be the lighthearted one, to be the one who is like the ray of sunshine in her gloomy existence, so to speak. Now, one of the big challenges of writing this story was, as we talked about with the Neil and Prey release, there was a long history, long, long, ugly history of writing that novel. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so this was a follow-up one. And there was the response for the first novel was really, really positive. But what ends up happening is you, you're talking about being paralyzed with fear. When you start to write the next novel, whatever it is, there's a moment of like, crap. Because you, you have that blank page that's like, wow, fill it with something, dude. You know, make it good. And you're like, I don't want to disappoint the people that like the first novel. And there's this insane pressure, external pressure that you put on yourself that, man, can I do this? Maybe that was a fluke. Maybe I'm just a fake and people are going to figure that out. But then eventually you just have to trust yourself. And the great thing about independent publishing is that you can just write whatever you want to write. So you end up having to free yourself, honestly, allow yourself to make mistakes and allow yourself to write crap again and then fix it. You know, that's kind of the process. Writing is rewriting. It it is. And, you know, for a long time, that was very freeing because it doesn't matter if what you're writing is good or not. You can always fix it later. But there was a time when I was starting to write novels that that was frustrating to me because it was so hard to train my brain to write novels from writing screenplays that I didn't want to write again or more. Or, (laughs) you know, I was like, man, this is so much work getting this on the page in the first place. But now that I've, you know, working on my fourth novel now, well, and a hundred versions of the first novel, <laughs> you you just kind of get that writing is rewriting thing is far less intimidating. Now you kind of look forward to it. Again, it becomes freeing because you're like, look, I have this idea of what kind of should happen when I'm writing this this chapter or this scene, and I'm just going to write what I think should happen, knowing it's not the fulfillment of what I want to happen. And then I'll go back and fix it later. One of the things that's hard for me when I'm writing is getting stuck on that one word or that one phrase that it's not the right word and you can't remember or figure out what the right word is. So oftentimes if I allowed myself, I would be stuck. I would just stop writing until I figured out that word. When I figured out that word, finally, I'd kind of forget. I'd lose the momentum or track of where I was going after that. So one of the things that I started to do when I was writing screenplays is that I just put in parentheses stuff that I know isn't right. It's just kind of what I mean. And that just allows me to go, yep, that's kind of what I mean. I'm going to rewrite it anyway. And the next time you read it, you go, oh, I know what I meant now. Whatever that block is in your brain, it goes away when you stop thinking about it. It's like when you're in the shower and you go, oh, that's the word I was thinking of. It's that kind of thing. I actually read something really interesting the other day at work when I was reading about the best ways to brainstorm for productivity and things along those lines. And I've heard this before, which is cool because, you know, when you hear it from different sources, you begin to think that there's something to it. And that is that the brain likes things to be complete. Right. So when you have a song stuck in your head, for example, the way to get the song out of your head is to finish it, is to learn the end of the song and finish the song and then your brain can move on. But if you don't finish the song, your brain's going to play it on a loop until the song is finished. This also applies to writing too, because when you're brainstorming, the best way for you to spark creativity when you're not feeling creative is to make a numbered list or just a bunch of dashes, a bulleted list, and leave some unwritten purposely because your brain will subconsciously want to finish that list and it'll think of things that can fill that void. Right. So if you're not sure what's supposed to happen next, you could write, well, then Gabby goes into the room and dot, dot, dot. And you just leave it like that. And then your brain will go, well, what happens? There are actually a lot of blogs on Tumblr and online that are writing prompt blogs. And they just give you a sentence or a picture. And you have to create a story out of that picture or out of that sentence. Now, one of the things I like to do with my novels, especially because it takes place in Safety Harbor, which is in Florida, is I like to add as many Florida-specific elements as possible so that People who live here will recognize it, and people who don't live here will learn something about the area. 
That's why in the second novel, I specifically wanted to include a hurricane because hurricanes are a threat every year and you just learn to deal with it and you're prepared and you know how to get out of town if you have to. And so it is something that a lot of people hear about but don't experience and the people in Florida hear about and and do experience. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to include that in there. Another thing that a lot of people don't know about Tampa Bay specifically is that Tampa Bay is the lightning capital of the United States. For a long time, it was the lightning capital of the world until measuring devices got more accurate and global. And then they found someplace over in Africa, I think that is the lightning capital of the world. And during a very intense thunderstorm, the lightning is insane. It's beautiful. It's scary and beautiful. Yeah, like tigers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Phil Esposito, who helped get the Tampa Bay Lightning hockey team started, he was trying to think of a name. And he was driving down the interstate in between Tampa and St. Petersburg. And it was during a really intense thunderstorm. And he's not from here. And he counted that there were 30 lightning strikes in 30 seconds. He's like, well, there you go. (laughs) The Tampa Bay lightning. Everyone here will get that. Plus, it exudes fast and exciting and things like that and dangerous. So that was good for a hockey team. There was one time where there was an intense lightning storm about five miles away from our house. And you guys were kids. And... It was really late at night, and we just sat by the window and watched the sky, and it would just flash with these distant lightning strikes. The clouds would just illuminate one after another, like nonstop for like an hour. It was It was non-stop. really cool. Yeah. Anyway, I also add that into the novel, because if you've grown up in Tampa Bay, there's a certain enjoyment of watching thunderstorms from a distance. It's kind of like watching the sunset here. It's also enjoyable. So I try to add that element in as well, because... If you live here, that's what you do. But one of the challenges that I had with this novel specifically is that a lot of this is Gabby on her own. Mm -hmm. Because I come from a screenwriting background, a lot of that is dialogue because the, you know, what's going to happen, you express a little bit or where it's going to happen, you describe a little bit, but that's going to be decided by the director and all that other stuff. Most of the way you conveyed information in screenplays is through dialogue. So I'm really comfortable writing dialogue, and it's really easy for me to express layers of information that way. But it was not comfortable for me to write Gabby's journey walking in the eye of a hurricane trying to save her best friend. It ended up being a really good exercise of stretching myself as a writer. And one of the greatest compliments I got from my beta readers is that reading the book was like watching a movie. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, which meant that I was able to successfully describe the events in a way that were so visual in their mind that I didn't need dialogue to express it. It was a really challenging writing experience in that respect of kind of like learning new things and kind of pushing myself as a writer. But the end, it seemed to have worked, which is nice. That's awesome. So what do you hope people take away from this story? Another thing that I heard from my beta readers, which I think is very accurate, and I love the feedback I get from my beta readers because they're all coming from it just like every reader is from a different place. And so the different aspects of the story mean something different to them than maybe to me, even as a writer. So another piece of feedback I got from the beta readers was that they were impressed by how resilient Gabby was, and she was a lot stronger than they thought. And what's interesting to me is that Like we've talked about before, I focus on plot, you focus on character. So planning out a story for me is very practical, and then you have to be honest for what you're trying to say. A lot of the plot points and a lot of the struggles that Gabby go through are just like, all right, she's now here, she has to get here. What do I throw in her way? And then once I figure out what I'm going to throw in her way, I'm like, well, how would she deal with it that way? 
And that's where the emotions come out of. And that's where her internal struggle comes out of. But I don't think like you would think of. But I think of her story in the exact same way. I just think of it from a character growth perspective. So she has to end up here. So where does she start and what does she have to go through to get to that point? The thing that's made our collaboration really interesting is you come up with cool plot points that you're just like, I just want to throw this in. And I'm like, well, that would be really cool because this is how it would impact her. Right. Yeah. And those are things we didn't necessarily think of when we started mapping this story out. Right. So there have been times where there's either been violence or stuff with this hurricane where I didn't mean it to be violent. It just had to be violent for that scene to be honest. Or that struggle had to be really difficult for Gabby in order for the scene to be honest. So I start from the outside and work in, and you start from the inside and work out. And we always end up in the same place, I think. (laughs) One other thing we mentioned on a previous podcast, but in case you're listening to this one specifically about the release of this book, one of my favorite games is Uncharted. It's about a treasure hunter that faces these insane obstacles and the action sequences are amazing. And so one of the things I try to do whenever I'm struggling, I've learned, is I go, what would the developers of Uncharted do? If if Gabby Wells were a video game, what would they put her through? There have been times where you're sitting there going, all right, I can do anything. This is during a hurricane. I could do anything. What would the makers of Uncharted do? There's a time where Gabby enters a house going after someone, and the whole sequence is based on the idea if Gabby Wells were a video game and the Uncharted guys were developing it, that's what would happen. (laughs) The thing that I really enjoy about Gabby's character is that she's so resilient. Those are the characters that I've admired the most, are the ones that are resilient. It's why I love Agent Carter in the Marvel series. It's why I loved some of the characters from my childhood, you know, children's stories that I love so much, is because life is hard, and a lot of bad things happen, and you have to learn to endure them. You have to learn how to overcome them. A lot of times in fantasy, we like to portray the world as being good or evil, but the reality is the world exists in various shades of gray. When you're living in that world, you have to find ways to find the light, And you have to find a way to find your way back to God when so much evil and so many terrifying things confront you. I think it's incredible when I hear stories about people who are unafraid to travel, you know, unafraid to travel the world, because the first thing that I think about is like, well, what danger would that put me in? Not only as an individual person, but also as a woman, because typically, especially female travelers, they're in more danger than male travelers because women are not equally treated with the same amount of respect all over the world. And Gabby doesn't really think like that. She just thinks, I'm capable and I'm going to take care of myself. And I admire that, even though it gets her into trouble. Yeah, I think that comes from the impulse side of her. So she just acts before she thinks. And I've always written Strong Women. That's been my, I don't know why, but almost every story I've ever written is based around a strong woman. And I think that the challenges they they face are just different from men, just because oftentimes they're weaker physically than their opponents. So as a writer, I think that's more intriguing. You know, one of the things that Gabby faces in this story is someone who is vastly more physically adept than she is. And so she has to outthink them and outact them using her brains and, and her brawn and her impulse. And also her, well, if I die today, that's fine with me approach, which a lot of people are not really willing to do. One of the conversations that we actually had when you were plotting out this story was how do women fight? You know, because typically Gabby faces male protagonists. So how would she fight compared to a male protagonist? Because you know how men think when they fight. Right. But women fight more strategically. They fight more with their minds typically than they do with their fists. And getting to explore that pathway, getting to think about 
how would Gabby manipulate the situation to work in her favor? That's really cool to me. Yeah. And I specifically didn't want all of the stories to be Gabby facing a bad guy. In this novel, the antagonist is a woman. So I wanted to explore that a little bit too. Because to me, again, as a writer, you're just looking for the most interesting way to tell the story. One of the things that intrigues me is the use of the environment. And so the hurricane to me was like its own character. It was kind of like a, an expression of the battle of good and evil was visible or, or experienced by Gabby through this hurricane. There was a show called Exodus Decoded, which had the idea that in history, I think it's hard for them to find under the Pharaoh Ramses events in human history that show the Exodus, all the plagues and all that other stuff that happened with Moses and then the freeing of the people and crossing the water. The guy had the idea of what if it wasn't under Ramses, but someone else. And let's see if there's anything in human history that meets that. And so he found this time in human history where a lot of the events actually are recorded happening, but not under Ramses. It was a very intriguing documentary. But one of the things that he said, which kind of I thought about with writing this book, was that, you know, God can use everything. Like everything of, in his creation is part of his palette that he can use. You know, it's all the colors that he can paint with. You know, I believe that God puts in his creation, he puts these things in motion and they exist in and of themselves on their own. And then he can come in and out of that existence as he sees fit. And so I think the hurricane in and of itself is a creation of just the ecosystem that he created generations ago. But how that hurricane affects Gabby, as I mentioned, is the reflection of the good and evil. It's almost like the storm itself is like Satan trying to stop her in all of her paths and trying to put her in danger, and that the center of the hurricane is God. There's a point where Gabby is called by God to actually walk out into the hurricane, and it happens to be the eye of the hurricane. The other thing I like in this story is Gabby's relationship with God is talked about more in the sense that Gabby has a very interesting relationship with God. And I have found in my life that God has a very funny sense of humor. And so there are times where Gabby needs something. Like we're, we're all, we have all asked ourselves when crisis has happened, you know, God, if you can create the universe, why can't you just stop this one thing in your universe from happening? Or if you know I need to get A to B, and you can create anything, why don't you just create a situation where I can get the A to B quickly, right? Why can't you just do what I want? <laughs> right. That's what that sounds like. It does sound like that. And that's probably what we sound like. Right, to him. But oftentimes, as with my experience, is that God doesn't give you what you want, but what you need, because when he gives you what you need, then that journey, one, it, it requires your participation and your struggle to get over it, because that struggle itself brings you closer to God. So God wouldn't do anything that would take you away from him, he wants everything you do to bring you closer to him. So oftentimes we say, man, if I just won the lottery, it'd be great. You know, all my problems would be solved. And God would be like, but then you would probably go away from me. You'd probably indulge in things that would offend me. So I tell you what, you're going to have to struggle making money because you rely on me then. And that's really more important, not things of this world, but of the next. So I really love the relationship with Gabby and God in this. The way she talks to him is kind of like, seriously, why can't you just give me this? You're asking me to go in the eye of a hurricane. The hurricane's moving faster than I can possibly run. So how do you expect this to happen? How are you going to help me out? You could drop off a speedboat. You could <laughs> you could widen the eye. Of the, you can do anything. But the ways that he helps her are so like, she's like, seriously, this is your solution? You're God and this is your solution? Well, and I think the interesting thing that is kind of a struggle for you writing these stories is that when you're writing a story about a character of faith, they falter in their faith. 
There are times that they go through dark periods, that they leave their faith for a little period of time, and then they have to come back. It's not a straight story where they start here and then they end up better. And then the next story, they stay in that better place and then they keep improving in every story. Some stories are stories where something happens and they can't deal with it, and then they have to fix their relationship with God later. And that's not typical of how most series go. Right. And Gabby certainly isn't at the spiritual journey in her life to understand that everything God does for her is to bring her closer to him. All she knows is in that insane moment, she would like a better yes. You know what I mean? She's like, Lord, I need help. And he's like, yeah. She's like, seriously, can it be bigger than that? (laughs) And she doesn't appreciate, especially in the middle of a crisis, why God has answered her that way. That's a really fun thing. And even in Sins and Suicide, when she's having a discussion with her father about things, she's like, listen, you know, you could complain to him, but he doesn't really seem to care about that. (laughs) (laughs) So I really enjoy that aspect of it. And what I love about Gabby as a character is that, as you just said, you get to explore the successes and the failings of us as people in relation to God. Because within these moments of all of Gabby's existence and our own, I think, There are times where we go, oh, I get it, God. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think I can do that. And then there are others where we're like, okay, God, I need reassurance. Even though you told me this is the right thing to do, I need you to tell me again. And then there are other times where we're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to give up. And hopefully God's okay with that. You know, hopefully God gets why I'm giving up. That's one thing I really enjoy about writing this character is I get to explore all those things because they've all been in my life. And I think that's what touches the other people of faith who read the story is that they go, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, So I think that's an honest portrayal of that struggle. And I think it's fun to make a character have those moments in insane situations. The best thing about writing is that you can write anything. And the fact that I could write a story that takes place during a hurricane and I don't have to worry about budget or casting or special effects, that I can just write it, it's just, it's the most freeing, amazing thing as a writer to do that. So it was a lot of fun. So Lost and Found is available for sale on Amazon and other places. That's right. Also, if you sign up to my mailing list, you get the first novel free. What? Yeah, so it's available. Just go to GabbyWells.com. You'll see a link to Neil and Pray that says, read this book for free. Click on that, enter your email address, and then we'll send you a link on how to download the book. Check it out. Yep. So anyway, that is the backstory and the experience of writing Lost and Found, Dorothea. I was there. (laughs) (laughs) But they weren't. But now you guys get a little inside peek. Yeah. So the next novel is Sins and Suicide. Yes, because we wanted to go with a lighter theme for that book. <laughs> it's actually a lot lighter than it Lost is. It and doesn't Found. sound like it because it's called Sins and Suicide, uh, yeah. but it is. It is a much lighthearted take of Gabby, as as lighthearted as Gabby can get. So anyway, thank you very, very much for listening to us today and for supporting us and participating in our podcast. And if you want to contact me, you can contact me at Pete at PeteBauerBooks.com. Hi, Barbie. Oh, son of... Um, why do you keep saying hi to her? <laughs> <laughs> because she's our most dedicated fan. She is so adorable. And you know what's really been fun is that I have found out a lot more people listen to this than I thought. <laughs> well, that's good. No, I mean, in a good way. I'm I'm assuming that people are listening to this, obviously, because we're doing it. But it's cool to hear people that you know that you didn't know listen to it are actually listening to it. So for all of those people, and you know who you are, thank you very much. Yes, all of the listeners, thank you. Yeah, all three of you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's five now. That's true. We're up to five. 
All right. Anyway, thank you again. You can also comment in the comment section. And as always, we ask you humbly to rate us on iTunes so that people will know the value of this show. Good, bad, or ugly. Be honest, and we'd appreciate it. See you next time. See you guys. See you guys.